Hello, I'm Paul Mitchell, speaker and author on transformational leadership and engagement. Welcome to Enterprise Radio, where we interview leaders from business, from the arts and from our community. And we know these interviews will have a massive impact on the way you lead in all aspects of your life as well. In this episode, I'm talking with Paul Clitheroe, one of Australia's finest commentators on financial markets and a great educator about money in general. You're going to hear Paul's amazingly positive and refreshingly candid views on teamwork, on how to differentiate your business, on the so-called GFC, on what leadership is really all about, on work-life balance, on how to use your strengths, on how we are still the lucky country in Australia, on philanthropy and on family. So please sit back, grab a cup or whatever else you need to, tune in and enjoy Paul Clitheroe. So Paul, great to see you again, and thanks again for your for your time. I really don't know where to start with what your role is because you seem to have so many out there in terms of your business and community. So maybe for our listeners, can you give them a bit of a feel about um, just what you're doing at the moment? Um, I spend all my life talking to people about money. Okay, that's it. That's all I do. But but if you like, I, I guess you'd probably say that. I do only talk about money, but really, if you like, I'm probably vertically, vertically integrated in the money chain. Right. So, in other words, I'm executive director of IPAC, which I started 30 years ago. We look after about $16 billion for 16,000 people. Wow. That, that one end of money. Yep. Another end of money. I chair Money Magazine and Money Television, and um, and I do a lot of uh, money talk on um, TV, newspapers, and in particular these days do a lot of radio. And then maintaining this vertical integration idea, I also chair financial literacy for the federal government. So uh, I was asked to do that some years ago by John Howard, and uh, Kevin Rudd asked me to uh, to keep keep doing it, and uh, Julia Rudd asked me to uh, to keep running financial literacy, which is my pro bono time. Yeah. So really, as you can see, it, it sounds complicated, but it's simple. I, I yeah. talk to money with a private hat. Yeah. I talk to people about money as a media commentator. And at government level, um, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for our national policy, public policy, to give people the best money skills possible. So the good thing is, Paul, is that it might sound a little complicated, but really, it's only I, for 30 years I've only done one thing and money. Talk about money. And you've done it very well. I mean, and you've kept at it. And one of the things I guess that's important in leadership is to to really tap into why you do it. And knowing you a bit, yes, it's about the money, but it's about more than that. What's driven this, Paul? What's that you've been at the forefront of this uh, of money, talking to people about money, raising their financial awareness for for that many years? Oh, look, you can the the, the if you like, sort of the the manufactured answer about being a wonderful, inspirational leader. With hindsight, you can make up really excellent leadership stories. Yeah. I'm sure leadership always looks better with hindsight. <laughs> by the way. When you're actually in the middle of the battle... What a relief. When you're in the middle of the battle, you sometimes you sometimes worry. So I, I think you have a broad plan, and I, I went through university with this is where my skills lie. Started out as um, an investment analyst, and absolutely, I, I'd like to say now there was some you know grand vision about helping the community and, and so on, but the reality is that's not true. Um, the, the issue, like you, Paul, is that um, starting IPAC at 27 years old, I uh, put my entire life savings of $20,000 into starting the company. Yep. And I still had, uh, obviously, my wife was working, thank heavens, or we would have gone broke. Vicky, <laughs> Vicky, a school teacher back then. We delayed having children for three years because yeah. without, without Vicky's salary, I, I, could, I couldn't draw any money from the business. I wasn't making anything right. for three years with my four partners. And so, uh, so that that's really, if you like, to be perfectly blunt, my entire focus was on. Look, I, I do this quite well. I think our leadership position of offering money advice for a fee, because thirty years ago the money business was the wild west. Yeah. Um, and seriously, your the consumer's level of safety. And if, if people think financial advisors can be a bit rough today. If you go back 30 years ago, they used no, to wear guns. Yeah. <laughs> it was fight out of the OK It was terrible. So I think the, the leadership issue was starting Australia's first fee-for-service business. Mm. And we did that because, number one, we saw the obvious conflict between, if I'm talking to you about three products, uh, paying off your mortgage, on which, as a commission person, I make nothing, selling you maybe a couple of shares, on which I'd make 2.5% back then, or flogging you a crappy tax product on which I'd make 40%. If I'm going hungry that week, 
it's very it's different, part, very yeah. difficult mm. for me to encourage you to do the right thing, yeah. which is probably pay off your mortgage because yeah. you don't get paid for it. Yeah. So that's why we started Fee for Service. I think you could say, what was there any leadership in this? I, I think probably we showed leadership in thinking through the issue of advice, long run, must be done for a fee. And that, of course, government policy yeah. is now falling in behind that. But the leadership is also, it's an interesting one, that you, you need to lead not just with your people, you need to lead in the market. What's coming through here is sometimes to do the courage, or have the courage to, you could have easily done what everyone else was doing and done it better or done it faster. No, we would choose a different way. You know? No, we would have done it worse because, I, you know, I think you also, as part of the leadership, I think you've got to be really good about what you're not good at. And... What we had back then was pretty good university qualifications, whereas the rest of the industry had fantastic sales training. Right. No uni qualifications. Yeah. So we, we, mm. we also bluntly, it's all very well sounding, My, you know, you were leading the pack by 30 years, well, whoopee <laughs> do. But one of the reasons we, we led, number one, we genuinely thought it was the right thing to do, but number two, Paul, it's the only area, our academic qualifications, we were, we, I was the oldest at 27. Mm. My, my, my three, my four partners, we're 24 at 27, most of them had a job before. And so really all we had was the fact that, you know, one's an economist, one's a lawyer, MBAs and blah, blah, blah. So bluntly, yeah, we, we were also very conscious of the fact we had no selling skills, yeah. but we had qualifications. So that seemed to us to, to fit the mission around fees. Well, I guess there's a big thing these days, which is what this, I mean, uh, and I think you can overdo it, but play to your strengths. I mean, that was your competency. That was the difference. Uh, you know, you were... Uh, great researchers, great analysts, whereas a lot of the other people, their salespeople, probably didn't have that skill, and we didn't have the selling skill. Yeah. So you know, so no, look, it's a look, it's a reasonably you know you want to be. I think in in terms of leadership, I'm being fairly hardball about these issues. I think is is really important as as you see in the political sphere these days with minority governments and why did the Greece issue come about? You're seeing so much leadership seems to be focused on saying yes to people. Yeah. And I think you've actually got to be honest. The, the honesty in all that is starting with yourself and saying, well, there are some things we can do, there are some things we can't do. Mm. And basically earning a living was actually pretty important back then. Yeah. So, you know, people again say, you know, gee, weren't you, uh, you, know, weren't you really clever getting a you know, money program which started up about um, 1993. 93, that's right. Yeah, 93 yeah. was money. It became Australia's yeah. most watched program for yeah. year after year after year. Yeah. And people said, gee, you know, wasn't that a stroke of leadership and brilliance? And I said, well, look, I hate to tell you this, but um, they called me. Mm. Um, now, in, in a sense, you put yourself in the right place because the, why were we in the right place? We had no money to do any marketing. Right. And we weren't particularly good at selling. But what we realised is the media was interested in our research. Okay. Because the so-called managed fund industry was really in its infancy. And the media was... There the, the weren't money sections in newspapers. There weren't share market things on ABC News every night. Alan Kohler wasn't doing his great little graphs every night. There was a real vacuum. And uh, the broking industry was particularly bad at talking to the media, and particularly talking to the media from a consumer's perspective. Yeah. So we started talking to the media through our research process, not about what we wanted to sell, but what do consumers want. So you're focused on the consumer. Yeah. How much money do you need to retire? Yeah. Um, you know, but That's always been your focus. Yeah, it, yeah, I'm really interested in individuals. Yeah. So, so but, but again, so you look back and you go, wow, you know, wasn't that, wasn't that really clever leadership and strategy? But Paul... Uh, you, you, you've got to put yourself in the right place, but yeah, people often laugh about IPAC and they say that IPAC's great skill in life has been returning two out of three, two out of every three phone calls we get. <laughs> and, and, and there is a bit of yeah, that absolutely. because we, we put ourselves in the right place. Yeah, but, yeah. but when when you when you're on a board, I, I think if you're smart enough to realise where the waves are developing, and the fee wave was a big one. Mm. The the 30 years ago, consumers needed to make a client, they needed to ring the Australian Stock Exchange and get a letter of reference to go and see a stockbroker. 3% of Australians own shares the year I opened IPAC. Wow. The average Australian male executive lived, um, lived nearly four years in retirement before dying. That's the average male. That's yeah, uh, a sad uh, thing well, to Well, <laughs> so the, world, the world's changed so much, and I think we only did one thing well, and that is, I think in a very calm piece of water, we actually said, you know, because of demographics, because of politics, because of when people retire, they're not going to die quickly anymore, and they don't want to go to their local TAFE to do wine appreciation, they want to go to France to do wine appreciation. They're going to spend more money. Mm. Therefore, they're going to need more money. And I think the one piece of leadership that I think we've done really well over 30 years is more at a strategic level of saying a combination of demographics, deregulation, politics, and in particular, 
human behaviour wanting to live better. We think on that patch of ocean over there, we think there's going to be a really big wave. Mm. And we're going to paddle our surfboard out there all by our little selves. Yeah. Uh, and to be quite honest, Paul, we were probably about 10 years too early. Well, and, <laughs> and yet what a great lesson today when everyone says, well, it's too hard to get cut through and it's too hard to do this. I mean, the lesson here is you, 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 you stood, you looked around, you looked at the... Uh, the psychographics, the human behaviour, looked at the demographics, you looked at the political landscape, and sure, you might have been 10 years ahead, but you made a call, you placed a bet to an extent. We placed a bet. You went towards that way. Into, into where we are now, what's the lesson for leaders, both in terms of their people and their businesses? Because I... There is a lot of doom and gloom out there and people focusing often, you know, about what their performance is rather than the variables that they can shift and, and, and work with. It aggravates me that I go to a lot of chief executives forums and so on and um, um, you know, I chaired the government's tax forum earlier this year which put me in some of our yeah, Prime Minister down right, and yeah. senior business leaders, unions, so on. And it, it really does interest me how much of the leadership debate at the moment is about issues about which a leader can do absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's just fascinating how much airtime is spent on things like, will Greece default or will it not default? Mm. Um, and not only is a lot of that bluntly a waste of breath for a leader, yeah. it, it's like me, I've got, uh, if I bring it down to an individual level, because I think individuals need leadership in their own families as well, you know, if I've got a $5,000 credit card debt that's killing me, I can pontificate about Greece all I like. <laughs> or I can actually do a budget yeah. and find how am I gonna pay find, yeah. um, 20 bucks a week and get rid of it. Mm. And, and if I keep pontificating about Greece and the state of the US economy... Now, I appreciate in, in leadership of a major corporation, for example, if you're an exporter or whatever, some of these issues are really important. But I, I do, do think a little bit that, number one, we, we are... We are really spending a lot of time on, as leaders on things we have no knowledge about. Yeah. A lot of these issues, I hate to say this, neither we nor the world's best economists actually knows. Mm. Economists are generally not billionaires. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason for that. <laughs> now, the so I'm, I'm like, not an economist. That would uh, yeah. Well, I do, I do. Well, I do. Well, it's true. Most economists are not billionaires. Right, yeah. So I do, I do fret a bit. And the other thing that I find really funny is, and I think where a leader can really set themselves apart in this climate is that during a boom, everyone, employees, leaders, media, everyone wants to be positive. Mm. Buy shares, buy property, borrow money, build businesses, borrow, borrow, borrow. You know, lazy balance sheets. You're not, you're not using your balance sheet aggressively enough. You're a very bad CEO. In my view, leadership is actually having just a little bit of historical wisdom to stand back. And as a leader, I think you only need to say, well, what do we know? No boom has ever continued forever. Yeah. And no bust has ever gone forever. Yeah. So the idea the sky is falling, the sky is falling, said little chick, said chicken little, is yeah. it, it aggravates me. So at the moment, the other thing I think a good leader should have been doing, particularly over the last 18 months, is the only time you get opportunities in businesses in a downturn. Yes. You yeah. get no, in a boom, Absolutely, you could launch the new one tail and you could look good for a... But look, the reality is, is that you look in my industry, some of the great growth stories during the boom, Storm Financial, yeah, using yeah. heavy client yeah. gearing. Yeah. Yeah. Result, yeah. Boom. thousands of Australians are back. Yeah. Yeah. That is just an absence of leadership because there is no historical evidence that will, will give you any any substance to the argument that come the next boom, people that people at the moment are telling me we won't get another boom. It is just so nonsensical for a leader to say that. Yeah. There is no evidence in some 7,000 years of recorded history. In fact, there's evidence to the absolute contrary that every boom follows a bust, every bust follows a boom. Timing, timing's yeah. the issue, yeah. and the, the extent of the yeah. boom or the bust. So, so basically, the thing I laugh, if I can use my industry as an example, wealth management is, is full of woe. And now, why is that? Well, all of a sudden, people are saving 12.5% of their incomes. It's like a retailer being in a state of woe. Yeah. And the, the issue for me is that as I see many of my competitors shrinking, failing, the thing for me is as a leader is I say, okay, well, is the demand for advice disappearing forever? Because that is a key strategic issue. Yeah. And so what I see is I see people are living longer. They're more worried about money than ever. Uh, they're more worried about will I have enough money? How will I live? What about my health? 
that they're starting, this generation of baby boomers, you and I, are starting to see parents, if they're still alive, maybe going into aged care, and we're seeing the cost of that. Mm. So we've got all of these really... It's a big awakening, isn't it? Yeah. Well, but also the other big one for me, Paul, in terms of leadership in my industry level, at a personal level, is, well, what's the point you and I statistically should live into our 90s? Do we then drop dead and leave our 60-odd-year-old children an inheritance? So what about how do we how do we transition the family's wealth? Mm. So did, see, dad, dad used to die at about seventy. Yeah. The kids got the money at a time they could use it. Mm. So, so what I see in the nub of all that is that the I see hundreds of billions of dollars sitting in bank accounts in in cash earning interest. I see people saving huge chunks of their incomes today, and what I see is this is the time to be growing a wealth management business. Fantastic. And yet I watch with, with great amusement as all around me I see cost-cutting, cost-cutting, redundancy, redundancy. Mm. And yes, the, 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 the modern wealth management business in a couple of years' time, so if I was a 27-year-old all over again, I'd be starting all over again <laughs> because I know where the wave's going to come. of things just to bring it yeah. back to we have a model in our business called you have to be a good a good detective and we call it a good CIA agent and the CIA is what do you control what are you influenced yeah. and what do you just have to accept <laughs> for example the Greece situation that's an acceptance put all the energy into you want but it's going to get you nowhere yeah. so this whole idea of control the other one uh, coming through really strongly is there's always trends have a look at what data you've got but the big thing about yourself is that uh, this positivity, it's not just positivity out of like rah, rah, rah. It's a positivity based on facts. But it is a positivity that you have, Paul. It's always been there. Where does this come from? It's still almost a way of looking at things and it's just part of who you are. Does that family or has it always been you or has it come from absolute rationality? <laughs> what, I'm, look, I don't want to be too logical about some of these issues. The one of the in my role as chair of financial literacy in this country, one of the conclusions we're starting to come to with behavioural psychologists and behavioural economics is that we're a bit scared about this. We rather than expect some people have a gene that means they won't ever be good with money. Wow, isn't that interesting? Well, you know that person you know yeah. at school who can never hit a tennis ball. Yeah, yeah, and and. That was me. <laughs> well, and trying and coaching, and but yeah. it, it was, so my advice is go, do something you're good at. Yeah. Um, so, so the I think I think a lot of this. I'm I know some would disagree, but I I actually do think that I am told by my parents I was a happy baby, a happy child, mm. and nothing dreadfully bad's happened to. Well, it's interesting you say that. There's a guy, psychologist Martin Seligman, talks about a set point in yeah. happiness. So, if it's a scale of one to ten. You know, you you may be born a nine, and you have to work on it a bit, but not that much. Hmm. But if someone's born on a scale of three in terms of their DNA, they can still be happy, but they've got to put a lot of work into it. It just feels sometimes that you're probably at a set point of nine and a half or yeah, ten. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but in business, though, in particular, if we're talking about, you know, why am I so enthusiastic? But, you know, for me, I think to be, oh, you don't worry about Greece, it isn't a problem. Well, that's just, that's just silly. Hmm. You know, the world is full of nasty issues, but... I, I just can't help wanting to talk to leaders and talk about the business opportunity. Yes. And, and I'm so aware of this because I manage people's money. Mm. But I find it extraordinary that in 1908, when we first introduced the age pension, the reason we chose a male age of 65, people all think that's because males died at 65. In 1908, the average Australian male lived to 54. Mm. Now, right now, I'm 56. I am two years past my life expectancy of just 100 years ago. <laughs> wow, I, I have yeah. been gifted a yeah. quarter, on average, yeah. I may die tomorrow, yeah. but on average, you and I yeah. and our entire peer group, we have been gifted a quarter century of life. Mm. Now, and I know people who are sick, you know we've got friends yeah. who are sick, but we can either we can either focus on the small number of bad things and there are but we must recognize the bad things and be appropriate but i, I think for that rel, relatively small part of your life be it business or your personal life not to celebrate a quarter century of life in a hundred years and also from a business viewpoint the fact that people are living a quarter century longer 
is why wealth management... I, I know I'm sticking to what I know best. I, I, I can't yeah. talk to you about retail. Yeah. Yeah. But if I was a retailer or you know, the developer of aged care or whatever or developer of healthcare products for a pharmaceutical company, it doesn't seem illogical to me to, to think that if we're going to have a couple of billion more people living on the planet who are living longer are richer, mm. demand for goods and services. <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of... Did, look, but it's, and it, demand for your sort of work too. Oh, but, but, uh, but surely, you know, whether, you're, you know, whether you're Woolworths, Coles, a lawyer or whatever, mm. the, 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 as our population grows, that's why at the moment, for example, and people accuse me of being a bit a little overly positive about Australian properties, a lot of saying it's going to fall 40% and, and holiday houses are being smashed. And yeah, I, get, I get all that. But the thing for me is uh, that's true. That's bad. I'm, I'm not happy that I couldn't sell my holiday house if I tried. I, yeah, that, but, but I don't want to sell it. Um, but the other issue for me is that as Australian... For the listeners, there's a very nice holiday house up there at Avalon too, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, it's not Avalon. It's Avalon. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> but Australia's population in my lifetime will be 35 million people. Mm. And so it's very difficult for, for when someone says, no, Australians should buy property because I'm predicting it'll fall 40% in value, which some economists are. Um, my leadership response to that is, well... But what's your time frame? Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense to me that if we currently have a... I'm using this as an example. We currently have a housing shortage and we're 23 million people. We go to 35 million people. I'm not going to accept an argument that we won't live in a house or an apartment. Or, I don't think we're going to sleep in caves. No. So basically, then I, I try and take that into... So I tend to be, I think, a much bigger picture person. I'm, you know, if, if I'm under pressure around the, the costs in this organisation, or, you know, redundancies and costs, I will, yeah, but, but, but if we shrink this organisation in an area of huge demand, I know full well what a, a board is going to say to me in three years' time. Find more people, find more people, find more people. I mean, for heaven's sake, we've got to be, you know, I, I think we, we've got to be, uh, as leaders, there are actually times when, I think you say to the board, okay, absolutely, I'll cut costs, I'll cut costs, I'll cut costs. Well, you know, sometimes, it's a bit like politicians, you know, sometimes, that, and you may get in strife, you may lose your job, but, but sometimes, you know, saying no, had a wonderful one a, a while back, um, a very senior Australian on a, on a couple of boards with, I won't, won't mention his name, but he said to me once, I'm surrounded by yes men. Mm. And I said, what's the, well, I said, well, that, knowing your personality, that probably suits you just fine. And he sort of went, mudder, 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 you're right. <laughs> and I said, but why weren't they saying, uh, so, okay, well, give me an example. And he said, oh, General Manager X, how old? 42. Okay, what do you know about it? Quite a lot. Okay, what's he got? Well, his career's gone well. He's got a very large mortgage on a very large house. He's got three kids in private school. They travel business class to go skiing at Christmas. Yeah. And the wife's got a Mercedes. Yeah. And I said, um, and what do you think his chance is of saying no to you if he thinks he's going to lose his job? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For heaven's sake, Paul. Yeah. And so, you know, it, 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 one of the joys, I think, of, and that is a leadership issue, one of the joys of age, I think, is, is the, and one of the reasons I really encourage Australian leaders, I think a leader who is financially independent should be encouraging their team and staff to be financially independent. Yeah. The trouble is, if you've got financially independent staff, they'll tell you what they think. Yeah. It's, the, the advantage is they'll tell you what they think. Yeah. So basically, we uh, if we have uh, if we're if we're in a situation where we're feeling insecure, or all that's going to be taken away from us. We're really not going to get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The humans are very. But what I like about humans is, and that's why I think commission system is well they are. I think you know that's why I think the psychology I did was more valuable than the economics. Mm. Um, obviously, your much much more than mine. But gee, you know, I think when it comes to things, you know, like if I'm sitting here and I back back to my very first comment, if I'm uh, on a commission and I've got three products, one paying me zero commission, which is pay off your mortgage buying some shares which pays me a couple of cent or this crappy tax scheme which pays me 40 mm. even the very best human if the, if the school is saying we are removing your child from school next week if your fees aren't paid yeah. even the very best yeah. human Paul yeah. is inclined uh, mum and dad are sick or there's a problem correct yeah. you're inclined yeah. to sway to the dark side yeah. Yeah. so as a leader I think it's very <laughs> important particularly for my industry and I think my, my industry particularly has had a, a, a dreadful absence of what I call leadership for decades because all too often, the the product pricing in my industry are things like the old-fashioned savings plans, which were the commission levels just outrageous. And I think much leadership in, in my industry has been about making profits and keeping salespeople happy. Mm. And one of the reasons consumers, I think, will rate insurance agents and financial planners somewhere down here use car salesmen, it actually isn't the salesperson's fault. 
salespeople don't set their own commissions. No. Leaders. Leaders set yeah. commissions. Yeah. And so I do laugh a bit when I go to some of these very board meetings, some of our very, very senior Australian citizens saying, oh, you know, those dreadful, dreadful salespeople we employ. And I get a bit cranky, actually, mm. because I can tell you right now that particularly in large organisations, the salesperson does not set their pay system. No. Leadership sets pay systems. Yeah. And in terms and of client, get the behavior, in terms, of, in terms of client yeah. dissatisfaction, you'll get what you deserve. Yeah. So it's it, what coming through here clearly, not said but very, very, um, very uh, implicit, is that f- uh, that the money actually leads to maybe more freedom, more choice, more power. That um, it's uh, and, and probably a, a, a better a better way of working with each other, a better world. And that leads me on to your work with the fight foundation. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about what that was about, um, why it came about, why you're so passionate about it, and why you were, I think, uh, awarded, and I will say this because you weren't, was it, was it an Order of Australia? Mm. I know, yeah. Mm. So tell us a bit about that and your leadership work there and why that's so important for you and for Australia. Um, I, this community, um, I came here with my mum and dad. My dad was a medico. He came here as 10 quid palms. I was eight years old. Nottingham, Nottingham, I was Nottingham, the sheriff. Very good. The sheriff. <laughs> I still follow Nottingham Forest. We're going very badly in the uh, championship. Oh, they're, they're never going to get back to the Premier League. Anyway, um, different point altogether. Um, but basically, this, this country has been a huge joy for us. Yeah. And uh, I also, like you, went to university, country kid, went to Union 18. Yeah. I think my university fees are about 300 bucks. We used to pay 300 bucks a year to the students' union or something. <laughs> and as far as I could recall, I used to buy us about 500 beers during a week. Mm. So I'm sure I, um, I'm sure I think it's 50% discount over yeah, so, travel. <laughs> so, so, so basically I had a free education and then had the opportunity to, to grow a business with no one harassing me. Yes, we could, yeah, look, I could whinge about red tape and compliance and we can whinge about that, but we're not going to make any progress, but we can whinge about it. But the reality is, is there's been a, a real opportunity to build a business, raise a family, grow a family. And I know people are very negative at the moment about the, the world and hospitals aren't good enough. And this is, you know, we're a bunch, we, we, we are becoming a little bit of a bunch of whinges, by the way. We've never had it this good ever. Mm. Uh, if you walk out here today, get run over by a car on George Street, mm. I promise you, you'll get world class care yeah. very rapidly. Yeah. You know, all sort of, so you, you can either whinge about the fact you want everything to be a bit better, mm. but on balance, uh, mm. policing, health, education, this country, Best it's not perfect, yeah. not, but it's never going to be. Yeah. So look, this, this is all pretty good stuff. And so, but the, I would like it to be like this for my children and grandchildren. The the problem we have is that we Australians are unaware of this, but from a leadership viewpoint, we are still some probably 30-odd years off this, but we are basically building ourselves around a Greek model as we, in a way, we laugh at in, the Greek model. the debt? No, no, no. No, it's more an expectation thing. The, right. No, the, the primary problem we have, Paul, is the moment we've got, about, we've got about five taxpayers for each retiree. As I get there over the next decade or so, and certainly in 20 years' time, we end up with two and a half taxpayers right. per person. And the, the problem is is that my expectations and governments at the moment are showing very, and particularly the minority government, we're getting very poor leadership about saying, no, how did the Greek retirement age got to 52? It was 65. Opposition said, vote for us, 63. Government said, no, 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 we'll make it 61. And down went. And, down went. Mm. and we, we the idiot, or if you like, the, the, you know, we the idiot people in the democracy, or in the case of Greece, went along with that. The problem we've got now is that we all want to put as much money as super as possible at low rate of tax. We want to be able to take it out at age 60 with no tax for the rest of our life. We don't want GST to go up. We want first-class health care, mm. and we all want to be non-taxpayers. Yeah. So the... the almost an impossible well, it, it, No, it is beyond okay. impossible. Yeah. But in a minority government, how does a politician stand up and be a genuine leader? Because the answer is we need to work longer. The age pension needs to go out further. We need to be more self-reliant. And so far, Paul, I think I've met, if I was running for politics on that platform, yeah. I'm going to get about one vote. Yeah. And yeah. even my wife mightn't vote for him. <laughs> so the, the problem is, is that leadership is very, very difficult when you train your population, particularly during the boom years of resources, 
when you basically train your population, we'll give you tax cuts, we'll give you more benefits, we'll give you more of this, we'll give you more of that. And so the, the thing that I fret about, like many Australians, is that it's fine for my lifetime, mm. but I, I fret about the planet behind me. Yeah. And so basically one of the few solutions to that is, is actually to give people money skills. And here, some of our leaders are amongst the most hopeless people in the country. Are they really? Well, the funny thing with money is that you're probably constrained by your intelligence. Um, Typically, we run these little funny programs where, for example, uh, if we're out with blue-collar workers, they don't ask us about hybrids and options trading and can we short the Greek bonds and... They just pay off their mortgage, top up their super and buy a few shares. Mm. They retire rich. Mm. The, the problem I think leaders have is they're so busy. They're dealing in such huge quantities of money. I love it when a leader wants to talk to me about their own money and they'll quite often quietly on the side say, hey, Paul, um, get this on aeroplane, go to London all the time. Um, you know, quite often uh, one of our leaders at a top 100 Australian company, Paul, um, how much do you need to retire? And I go, you run a multi-billion dollar company. You're asking me. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. And he says, yeah, come yeah. on, but you're the expert. Yeah. Okay. You're the expert. Okay, so, okay, well, um, how much did you spend each year? Yeah. And they go, we'll never clue. And I say, well, I've got your annual report here. And so um, they'll quite often guess, say, 300000 yeah. And I'll pull out their annual report, and I'll say, well, last yeah, year you were 3. Five mil. Yeah, you were 2.5 <laughs> mil. So therefore you cleared about <laughs> 1.5 mil. And how much of the 1.5 mil did you say? Yeah. Oh, none. Okay, so... You're going to go from 1.5 mil to 300, and, and, they'll, and they'll scratch their heads and go, would you believe it? A CEO of one of our top 20 companies said, um, I won't need to buy suits. Uh, <laughs> That's a pretty expensive suit. <laughs> That's more than an Amani, isn't it? But, but what's, what's fascinating, so, so in, a, in, a, in a sense, if you like, because what's happened here, Paul, it isn't people's fault. Now, you're a psychologist, I'm not. But one thing I do know from reading what the behavioural psychs tell me is the human brain takes decades to evolve Mm. to a radically new situation. Mm. We have had no experience of living this long. Mm. And as a result, our Mm. brains are struggling to adapt to a new reality. Mm. And so, you know, we're not really thinking about things like, and I promise you, Paul, and we'll try and drive this with financial literacy in schools and universities and all the work we're doing, encouraging our leaders to run financial literacy programs in the workplace and so on, which is going really well. But we, we actually... When it comes to crossing the road and so on, and I say, quick, Paul, run across the road now, you'll look and see a big blue bus and you say, Paul, that's stupid. Now, we're actually, with our money, whether you're a highly intelligent leader or whatever you are in our community, we're doing the money equivalent of jumping in front of the bus. We actually don't get the danger. And so we invest in stupid things. Mm. We... We think we're going to earn buckets of money forever. Yeah. And particularly if we're clever, we think when we can retire, it's not going to be a problem because we'll earn 15 or 20% of our money. Mm. Well, well, no, we won't. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. Otherwise, yeah. we'd all be billionaires. So basically, the, so the reason I'm passionately involved behind the, the, uh, the government's financial literacy programs and part of the OECD doing that and so on is that, is that the governments cannot regulate us to be better with money. And it would be dangerous if they did. Mm. Governments through ASIC should try and protect us from crooks, thieves, and so on. But at the end of the day, whether you're one of Australia's great corporate leaders or you're, you're uh, working part-time in Woolies, um, doing checkout or whatever, Australians need to recognise the changing world and we need to be responsible for our own behaviour. Is that the responsibility? Can, absolutely. Yeah. Where leaders can help yeah. is leaders can help by... Encourage them, and I often get leaders. I often see these situations in little workshops where someone will say to their leader, "Oh, do you do a budget?" And the leader says, "Oh, God no! I'm highly paid. Why would I bother?" Mm. You know, it's, it's just, not, not in the way, is it? Yeah, yeah. Leadership is often leading. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what's interesting though is that you're saying that a lot of these uh, CEOs, senior leaders, are so busy running their own businesses and dealing with literally uh, billions millions and billions of dollars, they're not putting the time in, and, and, and if they even admit to that, it's sending a pretty poor message even down to the kids. Well, it's, it's important for them and their families, the, um, but also, you see, exciting things can happen to leaders. I mean, a regular meeting for me is, uh, would be with a, um, a leading Australian lawyer who's earning, say, a barrister or whatever, earning you know, a million, two million a year, whatever, and they come in and um, they've had a fabulous career. They're at the peak of their career and they've been offered a, a, a magistrate's position, right. which is, say, 260. Yep. And one of the big issues for them is this is one of the greatest honours of my life. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a potential for a nomination to eat maybe even to the federal court or, you know, really big. Uh, the big issue is 
Well, but, I work for twenty percent of my salary or ten percent, and I put no money aside. Yeah, right. And so, so the the thing that I keep saying to leaders is is it is really important that you do focus on your own money because if if you if you don't put yourself in a position of financial independence, I think you'll miss opportunities. Yeah. And leaders are particularly bad at how much is enough. Mm. Um, well, Arun wrote that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I strongly recommend Arun Abbey's "How Much Is Enough" is a cracker. But it, it, it does because what I tend to find is that is that again because we're relatively new to this money stuff is that you know I'll talk to people who've got thirty odd million dollars put aside. And they're worried, can they spend 500000 a year out of their $30 million? They've got enough. Yeah. They should start giving it away, for heaven's sake. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no point. For, so I've got two categories. I've got about 90% of my, my sort of high-earning clients have got nowhere near enough money. Right. And I've got about 10% that have got far too much. Okay. Yeah. And so I need to start thinking about a bigger a bigger world, a yeah, bigger correct. They should, they should just start thinking that they need to think about how they're going to transition money to their kids, how they're going to give money back to the community, all this sort of thing. So, Paul, as you start to, to, to talk about a bigger picture with community and, and other people, I know, and we, we mentioned Arun, uh, and I know that uh, you're the first person to admit that you haven't or, or didn't build up IPAC um, by yourself. Oh, it, was, it was very much a team effort. So talk to us a little bit about some of the things you think work in terms of working with teams and some of the things that you've seen that, that don't work. Oh, Paul, I'm so glad I didn't know you back then because I think if we got someone with your skills in to look at a Sinhalese Sri Lankan, a Tamil Sri Lankan, who were, you know don't really get on very well in many aspects, um, the son, uh, the uh, uh, an Indian whose dad whose dad was the sort of the um, uh, like a, 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 a manager for um, uh, an Indian diplomat, so he was the sort of the you know, running around behind them. So Piwish grew up in Poland and all over the place. I'm a refugee pom. Who's we would have never have said it would work. <laughs> and I think you would, like you, you, you would have looked at the four of us and gone, no way. you've got to be kidding. Next. Next. <laughs> exactly. So, so let, let's not... Um, um, yeah, you know, I think one of the... So what... But funnily enough, it's, it's a bit... You know when you see in a, a really good marriage, you see two identical people, you're quite surprised? Yeah. I know. It's the difference that yeah, makes it's the a, difference. And, and we, are, we are sort of... Um, we have the same values, mm. fundamental. Yeah, some well, that's a big one, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. The, the whole, the whole ethical ethics, mm. honesty, that sort of the, the fundamental values. Part of the great joy for me has been with um, this group of um, really interesting, hard-working people, and they're all as Australian as Australian can be, but, you know, getting invitations to my Indian partners, you know, riding in on a white horse, the wedding in wow, India. fantastic. And, uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the, the guys 30 years ago teaching me that spice is good, not bad. And, <laughs> <laughs> so so all, all of that is fantastic. But the I'm... I'm really poor. I'm. I'm. That's not a good model to focus on because the it is. I don't know of any other models where four blokes started a business together thirty years ago, and today they're still best of mates. Yeah. So that's just. It's really rare. And Fair it says, bit of luck. Yeah. Well, maybe it's luck, but I think you, you you touched on something. What binds you together is not the is uh, is the values. Well, funny enough, it's yeah. also never been about money. Yeah. The four of us would be. Um, Look, it's, look. Obviously, we all live well, but you know, we, we, you know, I think, I think as each year goes by, we probably all still save thirty percent of our salary. Yeah. So same know. old pattern. <laughs> we're, we're just really conservative yeah. people, and um, we've never been. Uh, Kerry Packer said to me one day when I sold, we sold IPAC to AXA for quite a lot of money, and Kerry, I said, "Gee, where's you know, Mr. I used to call him Mr. Packer. Gee, where's Mr. Packer? You know, I've got a fair bit of, um, fair bit of money here." And, and I, I laughed. Kerry turned to me and said, son, you can't even afford a Learjet. <laughs> and he's right, by the way. You can always get a bigger boat. We could talk <laughs> couldn't, about couldn't, it. Afford, couldn't afford a Learjet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. In other, in other words, I think, I think probably a real balancing thing is the four of us know we've got enough, yeah. which is why we've each started up charitable foundations and pro yeah. bono work. Because for us right now to be working and, and socking more money under the pyramid, we're just building pyramids, Paul. Yeah. You know, it, it's 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 now time for us to give money away, yep. give our time away, and pro bono work. So apart from the Australian Literacy Foundation, you've also got the Paul, the, the Clitheroe Foundation. Yep. 
Uh, talk a bit about that. I mean, and and the whole concept of corporate giving, as a, as because a, I think it's an important part for leaders to get. Because so many people say, "Well, I'm really busy, but when I retire, I'm going to get involved with a charity. I, I don't yeah. have the time now." It almost seems to be if we all said that, nothing would happen. No, it's wrong. Uh, the, talk about that. Uh, the there's these wonderful structures out there called a private ancillary fund. It, it's simpler than a DIY super fund. Um, you, you, over a bit of time, you'd need to get a bit like a DIY fund. You'd need to get about three hundred thousand dollars into a private ancillary fund. Any money you put in is fully tax deductible, um, and the own basically, apart from you know the obvious, you know, don't steal the money sort of stuff. It's the community's money. But basically, the only really important rule is each year you've got to give five percent of it away to eligible charity. Right. Now the reason is a good thing is that what I used to do is in a good year I'd give a nice check to the children's hospital, which is fantastic by the way. Don't stop doing that. But um, in a bad year, I wouldn't give them money away. Yeah. And what you find with a private ancillary fund is because you go over time, and the reason you should start them up while you're working is that I don't particularly need my salary anymore, but I can put my salary in into that straight into the foundation, fully right. taxed up. Right. So each dollar I earn mm. is a dollar for the foundation. Right. And so, whereas if I retired, so for it's me, the tax dollar. Yes, yes, it, 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 it's a real, it's a real. You know, it's, it's it, great. It, it, well, it's, it makes going to work fun mm. um, because you know I, I actually why I might work. Number one, I don't mind it. But number two, I'm building up my my charitable foundation. Yeah. You give the stuff away. Giving it away is more fun than earning it. But what it also does is a whole range of accidental benefits for Vicky and myself, as, as well as my today's earnings. The children know well, they're adults now, they know well uh, that it's where a, a fair chunk of our estate goes and we die. The three children, well, I'm telling a lie here, my youngest turns 18 next month, so Ellie's, Ellie's nearly 18. Doing HSC. Doing HSC. So she'll become a trustee next month. Right. And so basically the three children are the trustees of the family foundation. And what we really like is that... Um, and once the children got away, got over the shock of their inheritance going somewhere else, um, or, or a chunk of it anyway. Uh, but basically, what it does mean is, as a family, um, I feel our family has an obligation to this community, and I feel my children live privileged lives, mm. and I want them to feel a sense of obligation. Mm. And also, bluntly, Paul, it's got the kids involved in giving money for my daughter's been doing, would you believe, penguin rehabilitation at Toronto Zoo. Yeah. Middle daughter's been doing some homelessness. Yeah. Uh, my son's doing some stuff for the Museum of Contemporary Art. Mm. So what it's doing is it's getting my kids thinking as philanthropic people. Right from the start. Right from the start. But, but also, you know, family dinner, we have family dinner most Sunday nights, and the family foundation and what we're supporting at the moment, like the, the kids are really can't wait because um, like so many parents, I, we always used to read, we're going on a bear hunt to them. Remember that? We're going yeah. on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big one. I'm not sure. Anyway, so this year the, the foundation is because we support uh, arts, medicine and Australian youth. Uh, we're supporting a, a young director at Ensemble Theatre, uh, near We Live in Kirribilli, and their ensemble theatre is putting on, we're going on a bear hunt. So we're supporting oh, the young director, tremendous. we're supporting the play, but also the fact we're supporting it means that the ticket prices can be kept extremely low. And a key goal for us is to get a whole bunch of young children to from see less privileged areas Isn't that great? into a really nice theatre mm. to actually see and to experience going on a bear hunt with their parents yeah, yeah. or grandparents. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, so that's a hoot. I mean, so, that's, so, so, Paul, that's... Um, what a joy. That, that, well, that, that, that gives me more pleasure than most of the stuff I talk about. You should... Uh, uh, well, it's a pity we haven't got video because Paul's face is absolutely lighting up as we... As we I can't. Uh, as we I, talk. I, 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 I'm going to the first performance. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> the reality is, uh, listen, he probably liked it be in it given a chance. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I want to talk about that because if people heard um, and listening here just how much you do, they'd think, well, God, the guy obviously has no work-life balance, which is absolutely not the thing. I think one of the things, knowing you, Paul, is that's always been important to you, your mates, your balance. It's, it's just been, whether you do that now or whether you could always do that, just talk about that because it seems to me that you've You've always been good in getting those priorities right. Family, friends, community. How do you, how do, you do it and why is it so important for you? Oh, for me, see, the, I, I wasn't that stressed about needing to make a, a lot of money early because I'm, I'm firmly of the view that, look, I, say, I could die tomorrow, that's life. But statistically, at the moment, at 56, I should get based upon my blood cholesterol and my weight and blah, blah, blah. You can find, you can find any website, you can do all this stuff, yeah, as long yeah. as you've got a recent blood test. So basically, my my... My sort of best punt on my uh, debt data is about 92. Right. And that's if medicine doesn't improve anybody, yeah, right? That's yeah. what we know now. That's for now. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's now. And so basically, it just seems to me that, that given I reckon I've got relevant skills and I don't think I'll stop working, I've, I've never really been overly stressed about, you know, having to sock 
vast amounts away and work 100 hours a week and take two weeks a year off and blah, blah, blah. And the other advantage I had as a young Australian at 27 is I was talking to Australian retirees about what they would do if they had the chance again. Wow. And, wow. and so what, they were, what these very senior Australians were telling me is that, Paul, the day you stop work, no one in business will want to know you again. Yeah. Currency is pretty... Gee, gee, that, gee, that's a dominant thing. And it uh, hurts a lot of males. Yeah. A lot of their identity is tied up with that. And, yeah. and, um, and they said, and then you retire at 65, learning golf and learning sailing at 65 or learning snow skiing at 65, <laughs> it, it's, it's going to be pretty clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I said, what, what should you have done? They said, well, you know, look, look because of the pressures of work, and this, this happens, a uh, divorce, the kids from the first marriage aren't you know, still very close to them, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you think to yourself, you know, gee, if that's what being a senior executive leader means, it's not very exciting, is it? So um, so I, I guess what, it wasn't me being clever, it was talking to these people 30 years ago and over 30 years. So I've and always said... 27, you started to think yeah. about that differently? Well, at 20, but at 27, I was gobsmacked. I talked to a 65-year-old mm. with all the accolades in the business world. Yeah. And then they're nearly depressed. Yeah. yeah. And they've been a great... Because the second they stepped down is all the people they thought they were... Because they've abandoned their genuine friends. Yeah. yeah. They've, upgrade, they've upgraded friends. Yeah. And those friends that they think are friends are simply there because of their position. Yeah, they're, business, they're, they're, they're business colleagues. Yeah. And that's all... And, and yeah. some, some you'll stay in touch with. But but, the, but the, for me, it just seemed... And the, particularly the, the kids' issue. So I earned less money than I could have earned because I took more holidays. Right. And, and again, I do appreciate... If you're in a senior corporate job, that is not that easy. I, we, we own this business. Yeah. So I'm quite okay to say to my partners, listen, guys, uh, I'd like to take a bit more time off than you do. Uh, if I'm taking an extra month a year, how about I earn a twelfth less than you do? Yeah. And instantly, you know, you can it's make... It's a lot easier say, to do it. Yeah. And a lot of people can't make that work. Yeah. But basically, for, for me, that, that, that time thing... and. Uh, and also being, you know, being. I know you're going to tease me about my uh, my yacht. I was getting there. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> they see, they see my, my number one. It's in the budget. See, but number two is one of the one of the reasons that I'm not going to buy a hundred foot uh, yacht and try and win line on us to Sydney Hobart <laughs> is number one. That's just a race of money. Yeah. A rich bloke's always going to win that. Yeah. And that, that that's fine. But the, the one of the reasons I run a forty five foot boat is is that the way boats work is each extra foot costs you a fortune each year to race. <laughs> So one of the reasons for owning what I would call a medium-sized boat is yeah. it fits in the budget. Yeah. Because if I owned a big boat, I'd need to work 100 hours. So is the budget yeah. Sydney to Hobart every year now? Because you've got the bug. Uh, Paul has done, what, two or three? Uh, five this year. Five, now. yeah. Wow. The last year, last yeah. was the skippering my boat down there. No, 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 no. I didn't go. No, the deal with the family is the, the family really does come first. So I, we went to Aspen for Christmas two years ago. This year we're doing Christmas in Africa. So no, no, Hobart's every second year. Right. Because it does bugger up Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, and it shows very bad leadership and divorce potential. Uh, so, so insightful into matrimonial, matrimonial harmony as well. There too. One of the uh, things coming through there, though, is you talked about. Well, maybe senior execs can't take that time. But the sad thing is, some almost wear as a badge of honour that they've taken no time off. That they uh, they're owed, you know, so many weeks leave. It seems crazy in terms of this concept of renewal. So is there any messages or lessons for what execs can do to, to create an environment where we do go hard and we renew, we do go hard and we renew, rather than push, push, push and just hitting that wall? Oh, Paul, look, you and I both know the theory is easy, the reality is hard. Mm. I mean, look, corporate life, it, it, it's just really grinding. Mm. And I, I find this quite challenging. Um, in, you know, you're a similar age to me, and I find it really interesting that quite a few of my wife's mates are now sort of saying, oh, you know, my husband works too hard and he's chief executive of this or that or he's a partner of a law firm, whatever, or a specialist doctor, and, um, you know, works too hard, blah, 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 and, you know, I wish they'd take more time off. And it, it, it's difficult, isn't it? It is. Because yeah, yeah. In, in many cases, if we get down to the, the honesty of the situation, is that work's often an excuse. Mm. You yeah. know, I was howling with laughter at a dinner party on Friday night. One of my really good mates, who's a specialist doctor, um, uh, he he's um, he was just absolutely beaming. Heart surgeon, perhaps? Uh, he was just, no, no, different <laughs> bloke. No, no, this one's not a heart yeah. surgeon. Different bloke. But he, uh, th his wife was just saying, oh, it's dreadful that my husband can't come to Newcastle tomorrow. The the 90-year-old aunts have got morning tea in Newcastle, and, and, you know, my husband can't come. 
And he said with the biggest smile on his face, Thank God I'm on call. <laughs> so, I, 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 hey, so you think? Uh, I, I, I often wonder. I often wonder how much of this busy, busy, busy is, mm. is the is the is the Japanese mentality where you must be on the last train or you're a, you must be on the 11 p.m. train. Yeah. If you're on the 10 p.m. train, you're a business failure. Mm. And so look, I, I, I do wonder a bit, but also to be quite honest, Paul, I'm a, I'm a little cynical whether some of it doesn't actually suit the individual as well. Well, I can tell you, Paul, some of the people we coach sometimes, if they start to come clean about their hours is because things aren't good at home and yep. every time they get home they get a beating and there's something wrong with the kids so it's a lot easier to bunker down and do what you know than to face the reality that your personal relationships aren't all they could be. Yeah, if you, if you like that though, but look, I, I'm, that, look that's absolutely... I, I'm not sure we'll ever, ever fix those issues. What I fret about with that person though is that if we assume you're going to live to 90 and I don't think many of us are going to have really senior executive careers beyond what? 60 in, 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 in an executive capacity. Yeah, maybe on the boards after that. Yeah, you, yeah, if you're really good, you might get boards. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's not that, that easy either. So basically, uh, you know, I think you really want a bit, of a bit of a thought about, well, what skills, you know, what leadership are you showing in your own life? I mean, what, what, are, what, what other skills are you building up? Because the most satisfying life without any doubt, and I know everyone says, oh, I'll go from being an executive onto the board of BHP. Mm. Well, you might win Lotto as well. Yeah. yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, it, there aren't very many of those positions, yeah. and, and why you want one, I've got no idea. But um, but you know, but I, I think just questioning, well, you know, gee, if I'm doing a hundred hours a week at this, and and it's all gone, well, how long does the chief exec last these days? Well, if they're lucky, you know, five years. It reminds me when I first met you, and I may have got the 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 the, uh, the story wrong, but you did t- I asked you who was the yeah. happiest person financially. You told me was he was he a postman from Etalong or something like that, living in a caravan park because he knew exactly what he wanted. He knew the money he wanted. He was doing exactly what he wanted. So I think we can often lose lose sight of what it, what it is that we want. Um, is there anything that uh, leaders can do, not to necessarily go into the financial uh, planning of their people, but to get them to think more about what they want from their jobs, what they want from life, the way they can contribute back to to the business. They're going to find that really challenging mm. um, because a lot of these, you know, uh, and uh, look, hey, I'm an A-type personality as well. I'm achievement-focused, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, own, I, I put it this way, if I was a CEO working 100 hours a week into a sole job and maybe I was getting a game of golf once a month or something and a little bit of time with the family and the odd great holiday, hopefully, mm. I, would, I would be... I would be I would be fretting about the sustainability of that model. I would, I, if I was, say, I'm 56. Yeah. Um, so if I'm thinking I've got, on average, if I've got 32 years of life left in me and I haven't really de- developed genuine friendships, yeah. and in particular, I can tell you right now that this, this um, is a fascinating uh, government, some government work was done uh, about three years ago now and what, on, on happiness. And what we found fascinating is that females' happiness, um, and some of it clearly is is based on on menopause in the early fifties, where there's some some uh, some registering of unhappiness during yeah. that process, yeah. uh, anxiety yeah. and stuff, which Hormonal. is purely purely yeah. medical. Yeah. But basically, after that, a woman's happiness just skyrockets, mm. absolutely skyrockets, up into her early sixties, and then it fell off a cliff face. And we, for the life, of us we couldn't work it out. Yeah. The husband retired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God! I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm actually not joking. Yeah. And, and this very high power husband comes home and yeah. says, "Right, nothing else to do. I've got to start. Um, we can run this kitchen more efficiently." So it starts to run the home, which has been run possibly by if it is well, a male, but, female. Well, also by this stage, the the wife has probably got herself. They're much smarter than we are. Um, and the wife has probably got herself established in these really good friendships. Um, could be bridge, could be tennis, could be pro bono work, could be voluntary work, could be the art gallery, could be. Mm. They've got their act together. Mm. Um, and uh, and uh, what I fret about the 100-hour week is that, well, what have you got? Yeah. Yeah, what have you got? Yeah. Um, and, and, and then this idea of, oh, don't worry, I'll finish my 100 hours on Friday, and if I get lose my job, it'll be okay. On Monday, I'll be blah, 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 blah. I don't see the blah 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 happen very often. No, I, no. You know what? What we all need, male or female, is and this is where I think pro bono work, going on a pro bono board, setting up a family foundation, whatever it may be. I actually think that is just you. You just need this. You just need this logical transition that takes you through, and you need to be thinking ninety. Uh, you know what is going to keep you stimulated, interested? Yeah. Uh, what if the hundred hours a yeah. week is suddenly taken away from me? I read some great words on that. That there's two things we're always trying to do, and one 
in that first part of life we're trying to uh, you know, save a life more 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 you know drink from the cup and then in the last uh, in 50 60 we're trying to save life we're trying to put something back in the community and yet the most balanced people are doing doing both you know they're both savoring taking the renewal and they're saving in terms of putting something back to the community what's your mate um the uh, the you, you named him earlier on i read it is it's the psychologist siegel uh, Sullivan, martin Sullivan. Martin, does, yeah. doesn't he say something about hasn't he got this stage of life thing and the one the bit that really um meant something to me one well, as you can tell i read it really carefully but the but the what that now but the he was talking about um, the, the latter part of your life, which is where I am now. He's got these kind of these three stages. Yes, and, he talks I, about different lives. The the that right up till the the the, the 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 one is just a positive life, lots of positive. Then it goes for happiness right through to meaningful. That's right, relevant, and relevance, 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 and meaning. And this is, I guess, to an extent, what you're saying here. And what he says is that the real, the relevant and meaning life is the is the awareness. Of, of the skills that you have and pouring them back into the world to make something of difference that makes a difference to you, that has meaning to you. And to an extent, I guess your work with the Foundation is a great example of that. Obviously, there's no one better in the country that knows money issues and education around that, but you're pouring something back, giving something back. Sure, well, looking yeah. at that, so that money that money is uh, obviously a real, uh, a real skill, how to make it, how to educate... What are some of the vulnerabilities? We often talk about leaders that unless they show up warts and all, people are, are, are not going to feel as comfortable fessing up to their vulnerabilities and therefore will never be as good as we can be. Where do you think your vulnerabilities have been as a leader and where have you been able to compensate for them? I, I, I am the, probably, I am the, I am the most hopeless person in the world. Do not ever ask me to employ someone. <laughs> oh, nearly every dud decision we've made, sorry if you're listening, um, nearly every dud decision this company's made around recruitment have, have, have left me as the final say. Okay. I am, because see, my great weakness is the positivity you speak about. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the sort of the person who who wants to believe the story. Right. Oh, now, I see, you've been made, I see you've been sacked from your last three jobs in a year. Oh, yes, well, Paul, that was all, you know, all their fault. And I go, oh, yeah, you seem like a really good yeah, Let's so, give them a chance. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> I, I, I'm this, I, so the, 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 trouble, the trouble with dealing with an optimist um, is that I'm, I'm not a great... So the company keeps me way away from anything to do with recruitment, dismissal. Um, I am... Uh, and I really, I think the other thing for me is that I really, I do, I don't like conflict. Right. I really, okay. I really, um, um, so, you know, and I guess as chairman, I can, I can make sure that it doesn't happen in the boards I run. But I, I, I get very, uh, yelling and screaming is just not my thing. Yeah. Well, on your boat, the same thing. It's not, you see some people out there, it's the weekend and they're relaxing and all they're doing is yelling, yelling and screaming. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. I'm, I, know, I like. I like. I mean, I you know, I I, I love. I mean, I love. Uh, you know, we've done with this organisation. Uh, you know, been been a key part of the negotiation team on hundreds of millions of dollars in transactions, and I, I really enjoy hard negotiating because there we're not talking personality. Some days after a day with the lawyers until five in the morning or whatever. Some things you lose, mm. some things you win. Yeah. But when you lose, you're losing issues. Yeah. It's an issue. Yeah. So I argue with you about an issue. issue. Yeah. I'm not arguing about your capability or yeah. competency. Yeah. Yeah, we're arguing about the issue. The issue. Yeah. And if you end up winning, I go, oh, bugger, Paul. Yeah. We've had a very we've had a very tense yeah. negotiation. Yeah. I've lost. Yeah. Let's have a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not I'm not saying you're this or you're that or you're not good enough. You know, yeah. we, we're so arguing I'm, the merits I, of the I'm issue. fine on issue. I'm re- I, yeah, but I but I'm 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 definitely an I'm definitely Play the abs- ball, not I'm, the man. I'm an absolute sucker for a human sob story. Right. So, but, but uh, one or an awareness of that, and obviously, hopefully, you get other people to do your final screening. Do you? <laughs> I was never, I was never, I was never in line for HR. <laughs> no, they won't even let me meet people anymore. <laughs> I'm a much better chairman or or a non-exec director than I'm a director because. I'm really, um, I'm dangerously impatient. Right. Um, for movement, for oh, action. For, yeah, particularly no, with my government hat on, yeah. my, 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 te- my team and the government body. Um, I'm quite, I'm okay being a statesman, but, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, oh, dysfunctional is a bit hard, but if, if I'm in a meeting, particularly some of the OECD meetings, 
if you're in a meeting where the meeting opens up and the, the initial debate for an hour is a debate about the font <laughs> on the front page, yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I don't start throwing things or jumping up and down, but I get really quite... Yeah. <laughs> And you must see that a lot. Oh, because so, they, so they just don't go. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so basically, I get really, I get really, particularly, you know, at some of these big global meetings, is that we're we're actually trying to give people a chance for a better life. Yeah. And and that doesn't seem to be the bit we ever get to. Well, do you see it? Do you see it in terms of that positivity with that lens? Where do you see it happening? Well, in Australia, not necessarily names of companies, but where do you see? Yeah, they 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 they're looking at both short and long term. They've got the enterprise part bit and the people bit right. Um, they're they're thinking both the reality of where we are now and the possibilities in the future. Do you? Is there many businesses out there, or even industries, where you think we've we've got that nailed or getting there? Um, I have a particular bias, um, uh, and so I'm. And it comes to the big picture. I mean, for, for me, I mean, the solution around this, do we subsidise car manufacturing or, you know, whatever. I, the issue for Australia and Australians is, is giving individual Australian skills, mm. flexible skills, yeah. work-based skills, money skills. All, these are all part of, you know, we, we need these things. But, but we, our survival in this country is a smart nation. Mm. And so As a smart nation, I admire yeah. employers that don't just see their employees as, oh, help, they'll be there for three years, we'd better get out of them what we can. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very admiring of some of the, what I call our difficult industries. I'm very admiring of, a, if you want to find lower levels of education in English as second language, go to Australia Post. Mm. And I'm very admiring of Australia Post's genuine efforts to give those people functional skills in the community. English is a second language or different. Yeah, correct. And, and you know, some of these may be relatively new arrivals to Australia. Mm. And and the fact that uh, you know, I see corporations, uh, Woolworth does this as well, by the way, with the thousands and relatively, it's quite often some of the shelf stackers at night. Yeah. Um, but it's not only about English skills. It is, I'm admiring of these organisations to say, you know, we might only have these people for two years. But if in our two years with them we treat them with respect mm. and we actually try and give them some better money skills um, um, and so on, what they are finding is is that the person they've employed is far more respectful of the employer. Yeah. I think your fraud decreases, your absenteeism decreases, your sick days decrease. Your so-called shrinkage decreases. <laughs> yeah, you'd have the right word. But yeah. I, I only see the... So, in other words, I actually think being a good corporation with your employees, I think, is actually good for your shareholders. Mm. So, Which goes so, right so, back to your values about yeah, so I'm, developing skills, making a difference, care, ethics. Yeah. And the, thing I, the thing I really like is that I, you know, I know that if, you know, if, a, if a person's been through an Australia Post money program and maybe those skills have upgraded them so much they can get a be- better job somewhere else, mm. community wins, wherever mm. they go wins, and guess what? They'll still speak well of Australia Post for the rest of their life. Yeah. It's, surely it's good business. It's a good business. And I remember one incident you talked about and I thought what a, what, how we just would miss that someone was coming and trying to help them get their resume polished up and so forth but they still weren't getting work. And the best thing we could do for them was to actually give them a new couple of front teeth. Yep. Um, as simple as that and as, as, as grounded as that. Paul, is there any final, I guess, uh, lessons of leadership about servant leadership or leadership overall that you'd like to, um, like to leave us with? Oh, for, me, for me, it's the biggest picture of all. Um, the, the state of our society in, in 20, 30 years' time... Um, I know we like to complain about leaders and corporations and leaders and politics, but the the thing that most threatens me at the moment is that we're all wanting more and more and not willing to put back. And the thing that threatens me most of all is that we've actually got our politicians in a point where we're behaving like two-year-old toddlers in the supermarket demanding chocolates. And I think this is where senior business leaders really can make can make a difference because... The great fear that I have is that if you're leading a government, and as we are at the moment, you've only got a minority government, it's very hard to be a real leader. Mm. You want to keep your job. Yeah. But basically, I think unless, um, a bit like Warren Buffett in America said, you know, I don't really need $90 billion. I'm going to give $50 billion to the Gates Foundation. The Gates Foundation. Yeah. Now, and we say, oh, we can't do that. Mm. But hang on, but... but you know, I, I do. I do think we can do that in in smaller ways, and, and cert, certainly, certainly for for me, 
is, you know, I think part of leadership is is relatively uh, well-paid Australians saying, you know, look, you know, I don't believe that I can whack a whole bunch of money in superannuation and take it out tax-free forever after 60. Mm. You know, I think I've got to make a decent tax contribution to this community. Um, and I think we've got to give our politicians a little bit of authority to leave. leave way to do that. Because yeah. at the moment, all they're trying to do is give sugar to the squealing brats. Yeah. And we are the squealing brats. Yeah. And I think as a statement of leadership around our nation, I think business leaders have actually got to stand up and I know it sounds a bit weird, but I think we've actually got to stand up and help our politicians make decisions. And at times, we've actually got to recognise that no, no, you're not getting that tax concession. Yeah. Is actually the right answer. Yeah. And what I love about that is one of the best things you can do, we often say to people, is rather than, you know, dump on your boss, which often happens, or dump on your politicians, is help them lead, um, which I guess what you're saying here. Paul, thank you. This has been a fascinating discussion. I, uh, I just love... The metaphors, they just roll off your tongue like they're just like a wonderful red wine. Uh, the, the, the positivity that you have and that positivity based on, on data and facts and trends, the, uh, the wonderful balance that you do have in your own personal life and just um, how your know, mates are important and family's important and even more importantly just how you've given back and how you're, you're not just talking about it, you're, you're modelling the very way. So great to spend time with you and I'm sure that our listeners... Uh, we'll get uh, just so much from listening to you and uh, and hopefully not just listen, go out and do something about it. So yeah, thank that you. would please me most of all. <laughs> of course. Thanks. Well, how uplifting was that? I hope you really enjoyed Paul's views and his personal positivity. He certainly has a very elegant way of putting everything in perspective, the short and the long-term family, business, life. So if you have enjoyed this interview and you're enjoying the Enterprise Radio series in general, uh, we'd love you to pass it on to to a colleague who you think would also appreciate these leadership interviews. Until we meet again, I'm Paul Mitchell. Be true to you.